You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Mean Lion Media presents Pregnancy Pearls. Meet Dr. Nicole Plenty, a double board certified OBGYN and high risk pregnancy expert. She's brilliant, well researched, and feisty. Growing tired of seeing complications of pregnancy that could have been prevented, she wanted a way to empower women through knowledge. Because as she says, all doctors aren't created equal. This quest to educate women birthed this podcast, Pregnancy Pearls, with Dr. Plenty. Thanks for listening to Pregnancy Pearls Podcast with me, Dr. Nicole Plenty. We are wrapping up the last week of the month of June. So if you haven't done anything this summer yet, you have a whole good month to get out in these streets and do something soon. And of course, I'm going to be biased and say, go to the beach while you can, okay? Because... Even here in Atlanta, it was cold like just in in May. So enjoy these summer months while you can. Get out out with no clothes on, put your swimsuit on, and get to the beach. Now, before we close off the month, I have to recognize that this month we had a few special awarenesses uh, or causes this month. So first, it's LGBTQ Plus Awareness Month or aka Pride Month. Second, it's Anti-phospholipid syndrome awareness month, you guys. Of course, being an MFM, this is near and dear to my heart, but I've done an episode about this in the past. So make sure to go back and download and listen to that one. And it's also cancer survivors month. So shout out to all of my cancer conquerors who are listening. And June 27th. So this, this past Tuesday was National HIV Testing Day. So if you did not get tested on Tuesday, go ahead and schedule your appointment or let your primary care provider know that you need testing if you think that you are at risk. Now, June is also Myasthenia Gravis Awareness Month. And since we haven't talked about this topic yet, I thought it would be a great time to do so. So a lot of people might be thinking, what is Myasthenia Gravis? Well, it is a chronic autoimmune condition or neuromuscular disease that causes weakness in your skeletal muscles due to immune attackers called antibodies. You know, your immune system is what gives you health and your ability to fight off infection. So these antibodies um, break down substances that cause your muscles to contract. And these substances that stimulate your muscles to contract are called acetylcholine. That's one of the substances that attach your muscle and say, contract, contract, contract. Now, the hallmark of myasthenia gravis is muscle weakness. And that muscle weakens more and more as you use the muscle. And the muscle strength improves after periods of rest. Why? Because acetylcholine and all the other substances that are at the muscle causing it to contract, if you have these antibodies because of myasthenia gravis, it's breaking down these stimulants. So over time, you've just used them all. You've exhausted 
all of that acetylcholine or that substance that stimulates your muscles to contract. So that's why when you rest, your antibodies sort of die down. Like, okay, this person's not working anymore. So we can die down and go back dormant. And so it allows that acetylcholine to build up in that muscle between the muscles. So that'll give you more strength. So the hallmark muscle weakness over time with use and then periods of rest cause us to build that strength back up. Now, muscles that are often uh, affected are those that control the eyeball and eyelid movement, facial expression, chewing, talking, and swallowing. So, So you can see it affects a lot of your face. And because of this, muscles that are often affected, people usually present with what? A drooping eyelid or uh, what's called ptosis, and it's spelled like poptosis, P-T-O-S-I-S, ptosis or drooping eyelids, blurred or double vision. Why? Because your eyelids are drooping, your eyes are sleepy, and the muscles that control your eyes are weak. Difficulty swallowing. You can have change in speech as well because those muscles that are in your neck are weak. And then shortness of breath or problems breathing. Other muscles can also be affected, causing weakness in your arms, your hands, your fingers, your leg. Basically, anywhere there's a muscle, it can be affected. If it's severe, people usually present with respiratory distress, compromise, trouble breathing. Some of them need to be intubated to help them breathe because those uh, your muscle, your diaphragm are so weak. Mycelia gravis affects both males and females and occurs across all racial and ethnic groups. It's most commonly impacted uh, impacts young adult females under age 40 and older males over 60, but it can occur at any age, including childhood. It is not inherited and no, you cannot catch it. It's not contagious. For those with the disease who are pregnant, exacerbations of myasthenia gravis are more likely to occur early in the first trimester or in the postpartum period. Because remember, your immune system in pregnancy is suppressed, okay? So people usually do better during the pregnancy. But then when your immune system comes back, i.e. the postpartum period, then you are more likely to get myasthenic flares. Now, although myasthenia gravis is rarely seen in infants, the fetus may acquire antibodies from a, from a patient, from the mom, And that condition is called neonatal myasthenia, okay? And that's because of the mom's antibodies that have crossed the placenta and can affect the baby's muscle cells. Now, neonatal neonatal myasthenia is generally temporary and the child's symptoms usually disappear within two to three months after birth when the mom's antibodies are out of the system. Now, myasthenia crisis is an emergency and it occurs when the muscles that control your breathing it's weakened to the point where a ventilator is required to breathe. It may be triggered by an infection, stress, surgery, or an adverse reaction to medicine. So basically, anything that causes your body to go into a state of stress can trigger you to have a, a myasthenic emergency. Now, approximately 15 to 20% of people with myasthenia gravis experience at least one myasthenic crisis and up to 50% may have no obvious cause of the crisis. So just having the disease itself can set you off and cause you to have a uh, myasthenic emergency. 
Now, currently, unfortunately, there's no cure for myasthenia gravis, but there are several therapies available to help improve muscle weakness. And we'll talk about um, some of those now. You can have a thymectomy. Now, because of the thymus, the thymus gland makes these antibodies that are attacking your muscle cells. So removing the problem, meaning removing the source, can obviously reduce your risk of a myasthenic attack. Monoclonal antibody treatment. Now, this is a specific treatment that if you have anti-acetylcholine antibodies specifically, this antibody treatment basically takes the place of harmful antibodies so they don't attack your muscle cells. So they actually compete with binding sites of these anti-acetylcholine antibodies. You can be treated with uh, mestinon or pyrostigmine, which slows the breakdown of acetylcholine. So remember, this is one of the substances that binds muscles to make your muscles contract. So these two medicines are going to slow the breakdown of this uh, substance. You can also be treated with immunosuppressant medicines that actually just calm the immune system. So in pregnancy, we may give you a lot of steroids to calm their myasthenic flare because it reduces your immune system. And of course, there's other uh, immunomodulators besides just steroids as well. Plasmapheresis and IVIG or intravenous immunoglobulin, those are therapies that are used for severe cases of myasthenia gravis to remove destructive antibodies that attack the muscles, although their effectiveness usually only lasts a few weeks or months. So you may have to get plasmapheresis again. Now remember, plasmapheresis is cleaning the plasma, right? So that's getting rid of those circulating antibodies, whereas IVIG is just a concentrated dose of immunoglobulin to allow it to be more uh, at work than those antibodies is competing with. All right, so now that we know a little bit more, wait a minute, let me back up before I say this, because you know, we just went through preeclampsia awareness month. So I have to say, preeclampsia and myasthenia gravis, okay, it causes a treatment conundrum. Okay, if you have preeclampsia, which is when you have high blood pressure and vascular damage, which we look for as protein in your urine, and you have myasthenia gravis, we should not treat you with magnesium to prevent seizures. Why? Because treating you with magnesium can actually worsen myasthenia gravis and actually cause a myasthenic emergency. So this is the exception to the magnesium rule. Also, some of the medicines we use to treat high blood pressure in pregnancy, including preeclampsia, like nifedipine or calcium channel blockers, beta blockers like labetalol, can also cause weakness of muscles and exacerbate myasthenia, right? So we don't want to use those. So for people that have myasthenia gravis who happen to get preeclampsia, which wouldn't be rare, because remember, people that have autoimmune conditions are more at risk for preeclampsia. We don't treat you with magnesium. We give you things like IV Keppra, pushes of phenytoin, Ativan, or other anticonvulsants to help reduce your risk of an eclamptic seizure. We also try to avoid calcium channel blockers and beta blockers because it could worsen weakness. Instead, we give you hydralazine. So I just want to say that if you're a doctor or a nurse midwife or a nurse practitioner listening I want to make sure I put that out there. Myasthenia gravis and preeclampsia, we don't do our standard treatments with them. We want to make sure we recognize that we could be causing them to need to be on a ventilator if we do our standard treatment for preeclampsia. 
Okay, so now that we know a little bit more about myasthenia gravis in pregnancy, let's go to some cases. Our first case is a 23-year-old who has a history of myasthenia gravis. Two years ago, she underwent a thymectomy and has been without a flare since that time. She has a history of hypothyroidism controlled by Synthroid. Other than that, she has no other medical problems. She recently got married and is now desiring to have her first child. Due to her history, her OBGYN referred her to you for preconception consult. So the good thing about this situation is she's been treated with a thymectomy. Now, that doesn't mean that she won't have issues with myasthenia, but 50% of the time, treatment with a thymectomy can cause people to be in complete remission for myasthenia gravis. So that's number one. Number two, we want patients that have had myasthenia gravis to be flare-free as long as possible before they decide to get pregnant. That would be amazing if we could do that. And if you have a thymectomy, we want you to wait two years before you get pregnant after that thymectomy to allow your body to recover from your surgery, to allow those circulating antibodies to drop. So it is good that you've already gone through two years post post thymectomy. I'm trying to make this woman take her fibroids out. (laughs) Not the fibroids, y'all. Thymectomy, meaning removal of the thymus gland which remember, that's where some of those antibodies are created in the thymus gland. So the good thing is she's waited the appropriate length of time. The only thing that I want to uh, make sure is that we make sure, well, we have made sure she hasn't been without, she's been without flares that time. Now I'm more concerned about her thyroid disease, right? We remove the thymus. She has hypothyroidism. I want to make sure that she continues to be well controlled on her synthroid. So I would talk to her about the risk of her still going into a myasthenic flare despite her having the thymectomy, that's still a risk. I want to make sure that I am seeing her in that immediate postpartum period. And so is her immunologist or whomever is treating her myasthenia because she's more likely to flare even after a thymectomy in the postpartum period. For your thyroid disease, we need your thyroid, your TSH or thyroid stimulating hormone to be checked every trimester to make sure you continue to be controlled because your blood volume doubles in pregnancy. And if you have a drop of dye in a cup versus a drop of dye in a gallon, you can see how that's a dilutional effect. Same thing with the medicines that we take. It's diluted. So we want to make sure that as the blood volume continues to increase through pregnancy, so is your medicine. Is your medicines increased to make adjustments Um, if it needs to be adjusted. So I'm more concerned about making sure her thyroid disease is controlled before pregnancy than her myasthenia because she's been flare-free. The good thing also is that myasthenia gravis does not usually affect fertility at all, okay? So people that have myasthenia gravis, they tend to have the same level of fertility as people that don't have myasthenia gravis. Now, I have said before in the intro that newborns are usually not born with myasthenia gravis, but those antibodies from the mom can cross the placenta. Those anti-acetylcholine antibodies can cross the placenta and cause a transient neonatal myasthenia gravis. So from my standpoint, she's waited the appropriate length of time after her thymectomy. She hasn't had any flares since that time. Her thyroid disease seems to be controlled with Synthroid. I would want to make sure we check those levels before pregnancy. 
and especially going into the third trimester. Remember that uncontrolled hypothyroidism or low-functioning thyroid has been associated with a decreased IQ in offspring. We don't want dumb babies. We want to make sure your baby is smart. So we want to make sure that you get your thyroid disease controlled throughout the pregnancy um, so that your baby's IQ will not be in question. The case pearl for this case is myasthenia gravis does not affect fertility, although babies can be born with neonatal myasthenia gravis. All right, medical intern, what's our second case? Our second case is a 31-year-old who is 32 weeks pregnant with her second child. She has a known history of myasthenia gravis, which was treated with a thymectomy three years ago. She also has asthma. She presented to the ER with a cough, which she's had for three days, worsening shortness of breath, double vision with eye drooping and generalized weakness. She did a nebulizer at home, but this did not improve her symptoms. She is currently in the ER on 10 liters of oxygen with an oxygen saturation of 94%. You were consulted for further recommendations. Okay, so for me, if somebody has myasthenia gravis, it's a myasthenic crisis or an emergency until proven otherwise, right? I'd rather make the most severe diagnosis first and treat aggressively and then walk myself back, right? I have never regretted intubating somebody. I've always regretted not intubating them sooner. So for me, if I think this person has having a myasthenic flare and she's on 10 liters of oxygen, I'm going to tell respiratory, hey, go ahead and put her on BiPAP, meaning go ahead and give her some type of mask pressure to get that oxygen percentage up. Because I want that oxygen percentage above 94%. For the baby's benefit, right? So if our oxygen saturation is sustained and it drops below 94%, then we can have issues with the baby being in distress. What I don't want to do is deliver a hypoxic baby in the middle of a myasthenic crisis. You can see how this would just tip the mother overboard. So I want the mother as stable as possible if I have to move towards delivery, but to avoid needing to move towards delivery, to avoid seeing a bad tracing on the monitor, I need to get the oxygen level up. So I'm going to say, hey, listen, this is this may be a myasthenic crisis and it is until proven otherwise. We may want to switch her to some BiPAP, okay, to get the oxygen saturation up. And if that doesn't work, she may need to be intubated. So just prepare if she gets worse to intubate. She's already had a thymectomy. So that's probably why they're like, well, she had a thymectomy. This can't be a myasthenic crisis. Remember, you can still have a myasthenic crisis with a thymectomy. People forget that. Like, oh, your thymus gland is not even making antibodies. Well, you got antibodies made from other places. The, The antibodies can still be made. Okay. And did she have, did she remove her whole thymus? Like we got to assume that this can still happen. So just because somebody had thymectomy doesn't mean that this is not a myasthenic flare. Now she probably thought she was having an asthma attack, right? She's using her nebulizing inhaler at home, trying to figure out why her oxygen saturation isn't going up, trying to figure out why she doesn't feel better. She probably used her albuterol a couple of times before she got that, that nebulizer, but It's not better because this is not asthma. This is a myasthenic crisis. What's telling me this is a myasthenic crisis, you may ask? Well, the fact that she has eye drooping, double vision, and generalized weakness. Asthma don't cause that, y'all. 
Myasthenia gravis caused that. There are some other things that could cause that. If she had asynthetic Guillain-Barre syndrome, we talked about that in season one. Usually people get hit with a viral illness and their immune system causes an ascending paralysis or weakness of the skeletal muscles. But why would we think that, right? And again, if it is ascending paralysis or, my, or, or Guillain-Barre, I would want to also make sure I'm treating her airway first, okay? I want to make sure we've got a respiratory therapist on standby. We go ahead and move her to the ICU, put her on BiPAP, be prepared to intubate if her oxygen saturation continues to drop. But for me, this is a myasthenic crisis. So I would, one, consult my friends, the immunologists or the, uh, the rheumatologists to get them on board for some treatment. Usually with these things, we're going to start them on pyrostigmine, okay? We're going to start them on pyrostigmine. Usually we're going to give 30 milligram dose to try to get the immune system under response and to try to get the immune system to stop breaking down acetylcholine. Some people would also give high doses of steroids or IVIG. Steroid would be a quick thing to get your immune system suppressed. So of course, we're going to give a whopping dose of solumedrol to try to get this woman to breathe. Then yes, she would be a candidate for IVIG or plasmapheresis. Plasmapheresis is going to move, remove some of those antibodies out of her immune system. It's going to clean the plasma. That is usually what we do to get somebody through a myasthenic flare. And so that is what I would get to this patient. Don't ignore the fact that she had a thymectomy. Treat her as you would with somebody that has a thymus. IV steroids, pyrostigmine to slow down the breakdown of acetylcholine, plasma for research, okay? You're going to have to get some of your, your friends on board to get that to happen. Your immunologist, your rheumatologist, your hematologist are going to have to be on board to set up some of these things. But you got to move her to the unit, the ICU, while those things are being set up so they can be done in an ICU setting. The case pearl for this case is even with a thymectomy, patients can still have a myasthenic flare. All right, medical intern, do we have any any more cases or email questions? Yes. This email says, Dr. Plenty, I have myasthenia gravis and am 22 weeks pregnant. I have had eye drooping now and I'm no longer taking IVIG. Is this safe for me to use in pregnancy? People always talk about what's safe and what's not safe in pregnancy, right? And we have to do what's best to keep mom healthy. The safest thing in pregnancy is for the mom to be alive with no flares, with no respiratory depression, without needing to be on a ventilator. That is the safest thing for your baby, okay? Is IVIG Okay, it's IV immunoglobulin. Yes, if we have to give IVIG, which some people get IVIG or plasmapheresis monthly, we've had to do that before for other reasons. We treat other things with plasmapheresis and IVIG. People that have uh, antiplatelet antibodies and a history of a child with a brain bleed, we give them IVIG through the whole pregnancy to prevent brain bleeds in their future children during pregnancy. We do that. People that have TTP, we plasmapherese them or 
I know I'm getting into a whole bunch of disease processes, but the point I'm making is, yes, if we have to suppress your immune system with IVIG to stop you from flaring, I would recommend doing that. So I would talk to your rheumatologist or immunologist or whoever, whomever is treating your myasthenia gravis and say, hey, I discontinued this myself because I'm pregnant. Now I'm having these issues. Can we talk about restarting the IVIG or if this doesn't work, what's the next thing they would do for me? So yes, your immunomodulators, depending on the ones they, they, they give you, there are ones that are safe in pregnancy. You can take IVIG to prevent or treat a flare of myasthenia gravis. Um, and there are a lot of other treatments um, for myasthenia gravis that we can do to suppress your immune system. But the biggest thing is making sure that you don't go into a full crisis. 22 weeks is a vulnerable time for your baby. That's not a time that you're really, that baby is quite vulnerable, uh, viable. So we want to get you further out into the pregnancy. When people go into flares, myasthenic flares, or really any immune flare, it puts you at risk for miscarriages. So we don't want all of a sudden your immune system to be raging and raging and raging. And then we don't know what's happening to the baby. And we're not to the point in the pregnancy where we can deliver the baby. So we want to make sure that we don't go into full flare. Go ahead, talk to your doctors about restarting your medicines as soon as you possibly can. And if you have eye drooping, that's really a reason for you not to wait. If this is acute eye drooping, meaning all of a sudden you woke up your eye, so drooping, you're extremely tired, go to the ER and tell them, I have myasthenia gravis. I think I'm in a flare. And I say that because we don't know if your flare is only going to be eye drooping. We don't know if that's going to cause respiratory suppression. We don't know if you're going to need to be intubated in the next couple of hours. We don't know. So because we don't know how quickly things progress, I would suggest you calling your doctor if it's during a daytime hour or going straight to the ER to make sure that you are treated acutely now so that we don't have to worry about your disease process progressing. And this is not something that you usually wait a day or two or even a week or two to get into a doctor. You need to go to the ER now, if you think that you are having a myasthenic flare. All right, medical intern, do we have any more cases? And she's shaking her head no. So thank you guys so much for listening to Pregnancy Pearls Podcast. I hope that you learned more about myasthenia gravis in pregnancy. And if you enjoyed the show, please make sure to share with your friends, rate and comment. And if you didn't enjoy the show, I take constructive criticism, but just send me an email and don't don't badmouth me. If you or someone you know has had a pregnancy complication or unique pregnancy situation, let me know about it. Email me at pregnancypearls at gmail.com to hear your topic or case discussed on one of our podcast episodes. Also, remember to follow me on Instagram at pregnancy underscore pearls and Facebook at pregnancy pearls. Feel free to catch up on the YouTube channel for more quick talks about pregnancy complications. The website, drnicoleplenty.com for free pregnancy downloadables. And for goodness sake, catch up on the podcast, y'all, and share it with your friends because we have great content that we would love for you to share. In closing, remember to advocate for yourself. You are your biggest advocate and no one knows what's going on with your body except for you. Thanks for listening and have an amazing week.
Bye. Pregnancy Pearls is hosted by Dr. Nicole Lee Plenty. Produced by Nicole Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find Pregnancy Pearls on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice for diagnosis or treatment of individual medical conditions. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with specific questions regarding a medical condition. Pregnancy Pearls is a mean old lion media production. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.